Good morning. Hello. There it is. So here we are. Sunday morning. Seems like just a, a nice good way to start out a service, doesn't it? Here we are. Because I'm here. And you're here. So that would... Here we are. So Jesus, we, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this place that we could gather. We thank you for uh, the family of God that you placed all around us. And most of all, God, we're grateful for you and for all that you have done and are doing and are going to do in us, Lord. And we appreciate everything that you have given us in your word and the love that you poured out on us, God. This morning, I bind the flesh, the carnal mind, the, the emotions, uh, every lying voice of Satan, God, and I loose your spirit in this place. And God, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the things that you have for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. So the last few weeks I've been beating on you guys mercilessly about about our behavior and so forth and so on. So this week I'm not, as you can see, the attendance has dwindled under my scathing sermons. Um, no. um, you know, when, when God talks to you really seriously, about things, things that he wants changed, or things that are going on, it's it's easy to feel like he's not on your side, or like he's not happy with you. You know, my my children do things that, you know, make the veins in my forehead bulge out, but it doesn't mean that I don't love them, and and I'm still on their side, even when I'm applying swift, repetitive pressure to their backsides, I still am on their side, and. Uh, and, you know, the Bible says, correct your son, he'll give you rest. So not only do they have peace, but you have peace. And when you have peace, then everything goes smooth in the house. But, you know, the thing is, is God really is on our side. And we have an adversary that wants to take every little thing and make it out to be like God is not on your side. Like God's not happy. Like God has some kind of uh, bone to pick with you. And I can tell you that if God has a bone to pick with you, it probably has some really, really good meat on it that he just wants to share with you. So I want to talk a little bit about strongholds today because that's exactly what the Word of God is. It's a stronghold. It's a tower. Proverbs 18.10 says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous runs into it and is safe. And I wrote this one down. Uh, Deuteronomy 33:27 says, "The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He shall thrust out the enemy from before thee, and shall say, Destroy them." So, I've always liked that scripture, "Underneath are the everlasting arms," because it doesn't matter where you're at. Even still, underneath are the everlasting arms. You can't get low enough that God's not still there to catch you. And so. You know, it's easy to feel like, I feel like a broken record here, but it's easy to feel like God is somehow adversarial to you or that he has, he's kind of standing off to the side with his arms crossed in a huff, you know, but God God is not like that. We project the way that we think and the way the people around us are and things, we project those things on him. And, and God's not like that at all. And so, 
um, you know, when God when God deals with an issue in your life, He's He's doing it for your own good, uh, and that's that's what He said in Deuteronomy, where we talked last week about um, you know obeying the things that God gave us for our good always. So, uh, in First Samuel twenty one, uh, He starts out. You guys know this story well, where uh, David is running from Saul, and he's left Jerusalem. And he goes to Ahimelech at Nob, and uh, and he gives him the sword of Goliath, and so so he has this. He's embarking on this Sabbath rest where God has, you know, told him, "I'm going to defend you from your enemies," and uh, and he gives him this sword, this reminder of, "Look what you did, or look what I did when you trusted me when you were young." So we're going to work on that trust thing some more. Because uh, the funny thing about learning to trust God is he teaches you to trust him for something, and then you have to learn to trust him more, and then more. It's like that song, Tis So Sweet, Oh, for grace to trust you more. And, of course, trust is kind of like a pearl. It comes from aggravation and, and stress. You know, when you come into a place where you really can't do anything else, you know, God knows how to get you in those places where you're forced to just rest and trust Him because there's nothing you could really do anyway. And, uh, so He's very wise to do that. So, so He takes the sword from Ahimelech, and I'm going to start in verse 10. And David arose, and he fled that day for fear of Saul, and he went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart, and he was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them, and he feigned himself mad in their hands, and scrabbled on the doors of the gate. And he let his spittle fall down upon his beard. And Achish said to his servants, Lo, you see, this man is mad. Wherefore, then, have you brought him to before me? Have I need of madmen that you brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? An interesting little thing about this story, Achish means only a man. So Achish is just a man. And so David is afraid of just a man. You know, and, and, and Jesus talks to us about that. It's like, why, you know, why are you afraid of somebody who could merely kill you? You know, you should be afraid of someone who could kill you and then send you to hell. So, so you know, the Philistines, he was he was running away from Saul because here at home he's got this enemy out to get him. You know, but I, I find it strange that he went to the Philistines because the Philistines aren't his friends either. You know, like he, he went to his, his, uh, his enemies. It would be like someone fleeing the campus at K-State and going to KU. Like you think you're going to get a warm welcome, they're probably going to kill you. You know, um, but the thing is, is you know, then he became when he became afraid because they pointed out, it's like to to Achish, his advisors pointed out, you know, this guy is anointed to be the king. That's why Saul's after him. He's he's supposed to be the king. So, you know, I I wouldn't trust him. And uh, and so so then David realized, you know, this was a bad idea, and so he. He uh, manages to get himself out of, extricate it 
extricate himself from this situation. So I'm going to kind of go through the next two or three chapters, and I want to hit on a few verses here and there, so I'll just kind of uh, fill in the story as we go. Um, starting in verse 1 and 22. And David departed from thence, and he escaped to the cave of Julam. And he went, and then when his brethren and his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves to him, and he became a captain over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And David went from thence to Mizpeh of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Let my father and mother, I pray thee, Come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. And he brought them before the king of Moab, and they dwelt with him all the while that David was in the hold. So he comes to Ajulam, and you know we all we know the song. It's like I've been a while in David's hold. And you know I always kind of thought of that phrase. It sounds like a weak place, like a almost like, and to me it almost has this connotation of I've, I've I'm in prison here. Or I'm trapped, and, uh, and especially because he's running from Saul. But this word, uh, "behold," it literally means fortress or stronghold. And so, when when David took Jerusalem, it says he he took Zion and he dwelt in the fort. That's the same word that he uses here for the hold, where he was hiding in the wilderness. So. Um, I also find it interesting that Adula means uh, the justice of the people. And so here, this this picture of Christ the king goes in this place and everybody comes to this place where he's at that's, that's called the justice of the people. I find that interesting. So so he he, he stays here in the in this stronghold uh, because he, he tried going to the Philistines and, and that didn't work so well for him because he sought the help of man and... Uh, um, you know, he was flirting with disaster in that. So he he left there and he went to the stronghold. He went to a, a, an actual fortress that was a place of safety for him. And so um, Saul hears about this and he goes he goes to Nob and questions Ahimelech about what's going on and. Doeg, the Edomite, fills him in on, you know, actually I saw David there that day, and Himelech gave him this stuff and helped him on his way. And Saul and Himelech have this very unpleasant interview that that ends with Doeg killing Himelech and his entire family. And then Saul proceeds to destroy the entire city. And uh, so he's trying to stamp out this uh, insurrection, this, this rebellion, this mutiny in his in his kingdom, uh, and it, it's funny that that he would think that he could do that when God set him up as king, and then God told him, "You're not going to be king now. I'm going to set up somebody else." And it's it's odd to me that Saul would think that he could somehow circumvent what God told him by killing David. But uh, so yeah, he uh, Biathar escapes from. Uh, from the, the slaughter of his family, and uh, and he stays with David. Uh, when he comes to David, he tells him what's going on, and uh, so then David has this knowledge that that all of uh, the the priests of Nob are dead because of him. And uh, in 23, he says, 
tells Abiathar, Abide thou with me, and fear not, for he that seeks my life seeks your life. But with me you should be in safeguard. So he's saying, I, I'm, I'm in a safe place. It doesn't, I don't appear to be in a safe place, but I'm in a safe place because I'm in the stronghold. So God's, God, God's looking out for me. You stayed close to me. You'll be all right. And so now David decides he's going to fight the Philistines. He hears that they're fighting against the city of Keilah, and so he uh, and they're they're robbing the people of their food and things. And so he inquires of God, and God tells him, "Go, you'll you'll most certainly destroy them." And so he does. And uh, and then while he's at Keilah, then Saul hears that he's there, and he thinks, "Now God has has given him to me. He's trapped in this city that." Uh, he's locked in, and he, he can't get away from me now. And uh, so, so David inquires the Lord again in, in verse twelve. Uh, well, uh, in verse uh, eleven, he says, "Will the men of Keilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant has heard, O Lord God of Israel? I beseech thee, tell thy servant." And the Lord said, "He will come down." And said David, "Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul?" And the Lord said, "They will deliver thee up." Then David and his men, which were about six hundred, arose and departed out of Keilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he forbore to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds, and he remained there in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. So, so he he he's getting inside information from God about the things that are going on around him. Because God is on his side, so so God's going to tell him, yes, Saul is, is coming for you. He knows where you are. And yes, these people will betray you to him. So so he's, he's, he's working with God, and, he's, and God is telling him, I'm on your side. I'm, I'm going to fill you in on what's happening here. And so they... Uh, David meets Jonathan in the wilderness, and Jonathan brings this encouragement to him. He's like, "I know you're going to be king, and I, and I'll be next to you, and uh, and my dad knows it too, and that's why he's after you. But I'm telling you that God has got this all under control. And so, you know, he it says that he strengthened his hand in God. So, so David receives this encouragement from him, and then. Uh, and then he he still abides in this stronghold, and, uh, and then the the Ziphites come to Saul and tell him, "Hey, we know where he is. He's here now." And he's like, "Oh, thank God! He's showing compassion to me, telling me where my enemy is hiding." And uh, um, and so in verse twenty four, um, He's, uh, he has sent the men of Ziph. He's like, I hear that he's very, very cunning. So go go make sure he's still there before I, I make this trip for nothing. And so in verse 24 it says, They arose and they went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain on the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went down to seek him. And they told David, wherefore he came down into a rock, and he abode in the wilderness of Maon. When Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. And Saul went on this side of the mountain, and David and his men went on that side of the mountain. And David made haste to get away for fear of Saul. For Saul and his men compassed David and his men round about to take them. But there came a messenger unto Saul, saying, Haste thee and come, for the Philistines have invaded the land. 
Wherefore Saul returned from pursuing after David, and he went against the Philistines. Wherefore they called that place Selah Hamalikoth. And David went up from thence, and he dwelt in strongholds that didn't die. So he plays this deadly game of cat and mouse with Saul. You know, that's... Uh, would be rather uncomfortable to know they're just over there, you know, and it's like you're kind of hiding around the other side of the mountain from them, and uh, you know, and the Bible tells you that David was afraid of Saul uh, because you know he came to a place where eventually he he was certain that Saul would indeed kill him, but he was still had his trust in the Lord. He was surrendered to whatever it was that God was going to do because he was in this place where he couldn't just kill Saul. And uh, so, so while he trusted God, he was still uh, concerned about the things going on around him. And so, in chapter 24, then he he has an opportunity to kill Saul. He has this chance, and his men are telling him, "Like this is it. This is the, this is what God told you. He's going to deliver your enemy into your hand and kill him." And I don't think it ever actually God ever told him anything like that. Because he told him, "You're not going to kill Saul," and uh, and so David, uh, you know, David cuts off the skirt of, his, of Saul's robe, and uh, uh, and his heart smote him because Saul is is still his master, is still the king, he's still the anointed chosen of God, and uh, even though God has removed that choice from him and put it on David. He, he still had at one time chosen Saul to be king, and so David wasn't going to, to fight against him. And he would, he didn't want to try, and uh, he, he felt bad like he was kind of trying to push against this this uh, parameter that God set. It's like, well, see, how, how how close can I get, though? You know, can I mess with him? And and, and he realized, no, this is this is a bad idea. And, uh, and so David... Uh, uh, from a distance, David lets Saul know, "Hey, I had a chance to kill you, and I didn't. So, you know, I don't, I don't understand why you're after me when I'm just uh, I'm just a dead dog. But here you are, chasing me." And, and Saul tells him, "He's like, I I'm I have I have wronged you, and I I'm done. I'll leave you alone." Of course, he doesn't. But in uh, chapter verse 22. Um, well, eh, how about how about 20? And this is Saul talking. Now behold, I know well that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear now therefore to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my seed after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore unto Saul. And Saul went home, but David and his men gathered him up unto the hold. And so, so here he comes to this place where he had his he had this severe test. I mean, if if somebody was out to get you, and you had an opportunity to kill them while they were there was nothing they could do, you know, then it would be a very difficult thing to just continue running for your life from them. And God takes this very adversary that's chasing after him and promised to destroy him, and and he's like, I, I know you're going to be king. And, and he's like, in fact, I'm so sure that you're going to be king, I'm going to ask you to make me a promise that you're not going to just wipe out my lineage. And, of course, he didn't because when David was king, he asked around, he's like, is there anybody even left of Saul's house that I could show kindness to? And, and of course, he brought Mephibosheth to his, to his house and he ate at the king's table. 
So, uh, go with me to Psalm 34. So, all through that that story there, it, it's just it's, he, it's just one thing after another of David trying to escape from Saul, and Saul chasing David, and David trying to get away. And uh, but throughout the story, I'm, I'm sure you noticed that I, as I pointed out that. Uh, it keeps talking about David abiding in the hold, and it wasn't just in one place. It wasn't one specific place that he went to. It just it mentions several places, but in all those places, it says that he dwelt in the hold. So this in Psalm 34, I'm just going to read this whole thing. Um, uh, David wrote this uh, uh, right after his uh, his interview with uh, with Achish and Gath. And so this kind of gives you a bit of a, an idea of the things that, that he's thinking about while he's running from Achish and, and also running from Saul. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth, which is a good place to start when you feel like things are not going so well. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble will hear thereof and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him, they were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. So so he's well aware that he had gotten himself in a spot, and uh, and that God delivered him. God brought him out of it. Because he was afraid. And so if God can deliver me from Achish, surely God can deliver me from Saul. The angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him and delivers them. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And of course, that means lack. It's not lack any good thing. Uh, Come, ye children, hearken to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desires life and loves many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil, thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. And the face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off their remembrance from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears, and he delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near them that are of a broken heart, and save such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. So, that's pretty good. You know, he's, his, while he's running from Saul, while he's running from Achish, while he's in this, this uh, severe place, uh, in, one, uh, in one place he, he says that surely there is but one step between me and death before, before he had left Jerusalem. Because he knew that Saul was after him. 
um, while he's in this kind of desperate place, this is what he's talking about. This is what he's thinking about. He's like, my 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 soul is going to make its boast in the Lord, and and over and over and over again in this psalm, he talks about calling on the Lord and being delivered from his fears, being delivered from his troubles. And certainly there's a difference between being delivered and having victory over something. Because sometimes God will deliver you from something and it's just gone. And that's a blessing. We all love that. But more valuable than that is victory over something because then you've fought with it and you've wrestled with it and then the next time it comes knocking on on the door, you're not afraid of it. And, and, and you, you tell it no. Go with me to Psalm 50-something. 6. Psalm 56. Now again, we were, uh, we were talking about God being on our side. And then that's... I have found that that is a, a very, very crucial thing to keep in mind uh, really pretty much all the time. Because you know you could have you could have a day that goes by that you know like wow I overslept and then I had this thing that I had to go do and then I had this thing that I had to go do by the time that I got home and everything then I passed out in my chair and uh, now well it's really late and I need to get the kids in bed now I need to go to bed and and then you oversleep again the next day I'm telling you about my day yesterday and this morning but it's it's easy to feel like now God is unhappy with me. It's like I, you know, here I have church in the morning and I haven't, I haven't really been just seeking God all day, and and I even slept through my prayer time two days in a row, and uh, you know, not advocating that, making that a habit, but the thing is, is you know, it's easy to to then you you get in the situation like that and then. You have an adversary that wants to say, "Oh, I see." So, so, so now what are you going to do? You know, you know. Now, now God's not going to—he's not going to work with you. He's not going to—he's not going to show up. He's not going to do what you need him to do. And, um, and that—that's—that's that's honestly what I was thinking this morning, getting in the shower at 8:30, <laughs> and I was like, "Well, no, God is on my side," and. Uh, I, I really, really wish that I had uh, been more conscious this weekend. But uh, the thing that I know is that God is for me. God is on my side. And uh, it's not like everybody's coming to church to listen to me because that would be pathetic. Everybody's here to hear something from God. So, exactly. Exactly. He's on everybody's side. So he's not going to leave everybody else out to dry just because I overslept. So Psalm 56, David again, uh, uh, in the little caption at the top, it says that, that David wrote this when the Philistines took him in Gath. So, so this is around that same time again uh, that he wrote Psalm 34. So here we are again in 1 Samuel 21, and he's saying, Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up, and he fighting daily oppresses me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O Thou Most High. What time I am afraid, I will trust in Thee. In God I will praise His word. In God have I put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. 
Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Thou put my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, mine enemies shall turn back. This I know, for God is for me. And if you don't have that underlined, highlighted, big arrows and flashing lights pointing to it, you should. God is for me. You know, I, you know, I've, I've talked about it before. You know, I've wrestled for years with the idea that God was not for me, that that, that he he let me be here because he's really nice, and and he brought me along because he said whosoever. So he he was kind of stuck, including me, whether he liked it or not. But you know, the thing is, is that's not how God is. That's not who God is. And, and again, we project the things that we think on God. We, we, we think, well, I would think that, well, if I'm such a big loser, then God must think I'm such a big loser. And, and God doesn't think that way at all. You know, we were talking about the laver last week. Now, you look in the laver, you know, sometimes when you look in the laver, you see that you got something in your teeth. Sometimes when you look in the labor, you, you see something better than you expected to see. You know, and when you when you look at the labor and you see his righteousness, then that's really a blessing. And uh and God knows how to build that confidence in us that, that his love is really for us and the thing that you have to have to uh to really accept that is trust. And so you have to come to a place of trust. And so, so David learned to trust God by getting in the stronghold while he was out in the wilderness. And uh, um, let me finish this. It's like another place to go. Um, when I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust, and I will not be afraid of what man can do to me. Thy vows are upon me, O God, and I will render praises to thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt thou not deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? So that's what he does. He builds that sense of of trust in us because he takes you through things, and you learn, wow, that, that actually worked. And then you find, well, God told me X, Y, Z. And when I got into X, Y, Z, then it happened just like he said it would. And he took care of it. So, wow, that worked. That's great. And then he takes you to another thing. And and he takes you through this stair-step kind of thing where you learn more and more to trust him. And and that's a great deal of what the Sabbath is about. Because this this thing that we read, we're reading about David's Sabbath here. Because he couldn't really do anything other than run from Saul and and hide himself in the stronghold. And so uh, so he learned how to, to to rest in God and trust in God. And you can't that you can't really take those two apart. Rest and trust. They're different words, they mean different things, but you really can't in this instance take them apart. Because you can't rest in God if you don't trust him. And if you don't trust him, you're not going to rest in him. And so, so David came to that place where his rest and his trust was built up by this continual uh, proving because God does prove himself to us. He shouldn't have to, 
but he does because he knows that he that he needs to. He knows we need it. And so so he tells you the stuff and then he proves it to you and then you find wow he he really can be trusted. So go with me to 1 Samuel 30. is another another instance of the of the stronghold and doesn't and that word doesn't ever appear here but uh, uh, but to me this is a great example of 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 how David had learned to to get in the hold and uh, chapter 30 verse 1 and it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and had smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire. And they had taken the women captives that were therein, and they slew not any, either small or great, but carried them away, and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire. And their wives, and their sons, and their daughters were taken captive. And David and his people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept till they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captive, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal of the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved, and every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And he said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee bring me forth hither the ephod. So he got back in the stronghold again. He encouraged himself in the Lord, and so that hold is is the word of God. The the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. So so that's where we go to hide, and that's why David could take it with him everywhere he went. He could be in this place and he could be in the hold. He could be in this place and he could be in the hold. Everywhere he went, he could be in the hold because the hold was inside of him. You know, and I was actually Jeremy was having uh, uh, trouble sleeping the other night, and he was telling me he was afraid and and things. And when I was praying with him, I we he asked me a question about something that I said, and we got to talking, and and uh, I was explaining to him, I was like, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and you know what that name is. Uh, and he kind of him hauled around, I was like, well, it's Jesus. That is the name of the Lord, and that name is a strong tower. And so you have that inside you. So no matter where you go, if you're at school, if you're laying here in the dark and feeling a little creeped out, which is perfectly normal for an eight-year-old, no big deal. But if you're laying here in the dark feeling spooky, and or no matter where you go, you've got the stronghold, you've got that strong tower inside you. And so you can take your things to him. You can take those fears to him. You can take your problems to him. Everything that you're thinking, you can take to him. And and look to him to help you with it, and, and he will. So so David came into this place now, where um, you know uh, Saul's reign has just steadily declined, and and David is 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 still hiding from Saul, and he's living in Ziklag. That actually one of the Philistine kings gave it to him, and uh, and then when these people came and, and took away. His his, uh, his the women and children from his city, when they were ready to kill him, 
because, after all, he had led them out, their glorious leader. And then while they were gone, somebody had destroyed their 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 home and taken their family. Then, uh, you know, David, you know, the old David would have jumped on his horse and went after them. But this David had learned to wait on God, to ask God. But what he did, even before he said, uh, even before he told Abiathar to bring him the ephod so he could inquire of God, he encouraged himself in the Lord. And I'll bet that he was standing there thinking, God is for me. God is on my side. I'm sure he was reminding himself of that. And so, you know, that's one of those things that God brought me through to learn to trust him about. Because, like I said, I I felt like I didn't really belong. I didn't really fit. God just kind of brought me along because he had to. And, And God just would just worked with me on it and worked with me on it and he would prove to me over and over again that 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 he really did love me and that he really did accept me and that 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 he was doing things in my life and uh, um, and it's amazing because one of the ways that God will take you to those places is just like he did with David where you see you see just how uh, uh, bad the things in your flesh can be and and you have to learn to hold on to the love of God through that. So if you're in a place where that's kind of how you're feeling, that it's like, wow, I am a terrible person, and I can't, you know, I just I can't really believe that God would would fix anything for me or take care of me or, or even love me. It's like then that's a good place to be, and you can do the same thing that David did, and, and get in the hold. And, and encourage yourself in the Lord. I mean, I just, that, that scripture, like, I had read it a million times in Psalm 56. That this I know, God is for me. And it's just, eventually one day it just became, wow, God is for me. He's on my side. And uh, it it makes things different when you don't feel like God is somehow an adversary to you when you, when you realize that he's actually on your side. You know, and if you if you are having a an unpleasantness with with someone you love, someone in the body, perhaps, then you have to remember God's on their side too. But but you know, God's not happy until everything is is fixed because you don't want your children fighting. But uh, go with me to Romans eight, and then I will let you go after that. After all this, uh, I was having a time putting this study together. You know, just thing after thing throughout the week, my interactions with people and things that I read in the Word, and I just kept thinking, I think everybody needs a reminder that God is on their side. And uh, especially after after a few weeks of, of God talking serious things, and uh, it's it's good to have that reminder. It's like, hey, I'm talking to you about these things because I'm on your side. So, Romans 8, uh, verse 31. And again, I hope you're yawning through this because you knew I was going to go here and, and you have this memorized. You don't even need to read it. What then shall we say to these things? Because he's talking about how... Uh, okay, well, let's go back to 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. The, the, the good things that you do, the bad things that you do, the neutral things that you do, the things that happen to you uh, from other people. All that stuff works together for good. 
whether you say it uh, cheerily or through gritted teeth. They still all work together for good. To them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So that's the purpose that God had for you before you even knew anything about him. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he also called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. I like that. And I can't just read over it without, like, putting some feeling in it. Because that is, you know, that to me, that's the stronghold. It's like, who, you know, God is for me. And if he's on my side, who could be against me? You know, what kind of defeat is going to come against me when... He's on my side. I like that. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who shall bring an accusation against me? You know, and and that's what I feel like when I read this word. It it kind of makes me feel like like you've got like a bully on the playground. You know, it's like, how dare you say that to me? It's like, say that again and find out what happens. You know, and that and that's. And seriously, that's the kind of attitude that we should have about the, the enemy coming against us like that because he wants to, to buffalo you into the corner and make you afraid and kind of wring in your hands and, oh, I just wish you'd leave me alone. And, and instead, it's like, you know, you, you see a fight and, you know, it's like you see, you see them, you know, it's like they want to push you. They want to push you and you're not going to fight them. They want to push you, you're not going to fight them. Then they hit you. And then... Like now, now you've gone too far. You know, now, now I'm going to give you a fit. You know, and I honestly, I wish I had been in some fights in school because then I could feel like Ron does when he talks about this stuff. But I never did. I got I got picked on a lot when I was a kid. But I was that kid that was all. It's like my dad was always encouraging me. He's like, why don't you hit them? It's like. Punch him in his smug little face. And it's like, and it would make me angry because I was so afraid of these people that picked on me and stuff. I was like, are you kidding? He's like six inches taller than me, and he mopped the floor with me. That's why. You know, and, you know, I, I don't know what my dad could have done any different because that was my attitude. But I, I wish that I had, you know, I, I admire like those little guys. That, that just won't take anything from anybody. You know, it's like, you might beat the snot out of me, but I'm not going to go down without, you know, without a fight. You know, but that's how we should be. You know, when, because if God is for me, who can be against me? It's like, how is the devil going to beat me? You know, when he comes at me, then why don't I just come right back at him? It's like that song uh, the Nightingale sing about just, we can't be defeated. He said, the devil thought he had me. He thought he could make me quit, but I picked up the word of God and I gave Satan a fit. And uh, I like that. 
You know, it's like the like the lady that we talked about last week that wrapped that guy's wrist up in her purse and, and beat him half to death. <laughs> you know, I like that. You know, because because that's what our adversary is. is he's a bully, and and he uh, if he if he can get you if he can get you psyched out enough that you won't fight back, then then he's already got you beat. But but when you when you decide I'm not going to just take his stuff because I'm going to get in the tower. I'm going to get in the stronghold, and then and then I've, I'm going to get out my my uh, cauldron of boiling oil and I'm going to dump it on him. You know, and and that's that's what we do. We, we 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 fight back. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall the devil's accusations or our own failures or anything else separate us from the love of Christ? No. No, because his his love just keeps on going. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, For thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that, um, that, that you can, uh, you know, that you've got all, all this power. You do, but it comes from him. And so it's like having your dad show up. While you're in the middle of a fight, and uh, and suddenly the bully's not so not so excited about fighting with with your dad, and then you kind of want to stand behind him and be like, well, hey. <laughs> like, hey, what now? You know. So so that's that that's the thing is the word of God is that is that stronghold. It's 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 our refuge. And it's our safety, it's our strength, and it's a weapon. I mean, it's it's like it's like everything that you could need. It's right there. So Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, and we just pray that you would give us that kind of heart that wouldn't just uh, allow ourselves to be bullied by the enemy, Lord God, but that, that we would uh, that we would fight back, and that we would stand, and that we would when the that we would have have sense to know when to just take cover and get in the get in the tower. And God, we just pray that you would give us that wisdom and that you would just touch us today. God, plant that word and cause it to grow inside of us. God, make those changes in us that you're doing to us, Lord. Now, God, today we just pray that you would touch this service. God, we pray that we would receive everything that you have for us today. God, everything that you would say to us, God, we want to receive it. Lord God, and we want to praise you today and, and glorify you for everything that you have done, Lord God, all that you're doing. God, all of us, God, have a catalog of things that we could go back through of, of things that you've done for us. God, things, places where you came through for us where no one else could have. God, where we came into those places where if you didn't do something, nothing was going to get done. And you showed up and did the things that needed done. So, God, we... Uh, we glorify you today, God, and I just pray that you would raise our uh, sense of expectation from you, God, raise our sense of um, looking uh, away from uh, our own things and looking to you and having our focus be on you. God, we just pray it in the name of Jesus. God, touch this day and just bless it in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen.
All right, we're blessed, you guys.